Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. My name is Lynn Wilder. And I'm Michael Wilder. I'm the same person as usual. So we're excited today. Again, uh, great guest. Yeah, um, I, I feel really good about this. I've been in prayer about this um, for several days. This is Ashley Grinstead. Did I did I say that correctly? Ashley and I've been in touch a little bit, um, kind of on and off. And she called me recently and gave me an update on what's happening in her life. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to, to have the opportunity to do this. Well, the subject as always is Mormonism, right? Leaving Mormonism, finding Christ. Um, and many, many people are deeply moved by these stories. And many Mormons who are transitioning are encouraged by these stories that there can be life after Mormonism and that God can be in it and it can be good. So I'm eager to hear your story. Were you born LDS? I was not. I was um, actually not even born into a Christian home. Um, we would occasionally go to church on Sundays with my grandparents, but that's kind of, you know, as far as it went. So I uh, didn't really have any uh, Christian upbringing, no. Oh, okay. So how does that play out, like in your teen years and your... Well, it wasn't until I was in my 20s. Um, my parents had, um, my dad had a co-worker that he worked with that kept inviting him to church and inviting him to church. I mean, invited him for years to come to church. And so my parents finally went. And um, after a bit of time, both of them got saved. And um, so then that kind of, you know, got them interested in reaching my sister and I to come to church. So, so um for Mormons who don't know what that means, <laughs> got saved, what would you say happened to your parents? Um, I mean, it, uh, their lives changed drastically. You know, they went from a life focused on their self and, you know, successes to a life that turned to to ser serving the Lord and, you know, trying to reach others and bring them in. That was a, that was a top priority. Yeah. When now, my now, mom... Did, did yeah. Did, did you think that was kind of strange when your parents did that? Uh, how did you feel uh, about that? Not so much strange, because I think that I always had the sense within me that there was something outside of myself, something bigger than myself to answer to. Um, but I didn't necessarily know what that was. And I was actually living with a boyfriend at the time in 2007. And I remember that they were really trying to you know, reached to me about, you know, the way that we were living, you know, was, was not appropriate. And um, so it, it actually kind of forced us into marriage, I guess, from my perspective, because their motto was kind of, you know, if you can live together, you can be married kind of thing, you know. Um, so we ended up getting married and um, that only lasted for about seven months. He was unfaithful to me. So it's something a lot of people don't know about me because it was such a brief, you know, part of part of my story. But I was married before. Um, and like I said, that marriage uh, didn't last. Um, and it's funny. 
um, because I was divorced in October of 2008. And then I met Vince, my current husband, just a couple months later, uh, towards the end of 2008. And then we um, told my parents that we were going to go and get married, which they thought that I should probably be put into a mental institution <laughs> at that point. But um, on Valentine's Day of 2009, we eloped in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And so, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> kind of where it was. Okay, so let's get back to the faith. So your parents brought Christianity to you? Did you listen they at all? No, well, they did. So, um, so Vince, Vince, which is my current husband, he was raised Mormon his entire life. But oh. at the time that I met him, he was not active. I mean, he hadn't been active for a very long time. I wasn't saved at the time. So, I mean, his religion really didn't make a, a difference to, to me. Um, he came with me a couple times. My parents kept inviting us to church and we came a couple times. And um, I think Vince is kind of turned off to that particular church just because the the preacher was kind of like a hellfire damnation kind of preacher, you know, like if you don't, you know, get saved, you're going to go to hell. And I think that was like a real, you know, thing that just didn't click very well with him. Yeah. Um, but I did continue to go a little more frequently. He was kind of working shift work. So a lot of times I would go by myself. And so I actually ended up getting saved um, at the beginning of 2010 um, at, at that Baptist church that I was attending with my parents. So give me the specifics of that. What did that look like? What changed? Why did you, do you think you made that decision? Um, it was my first encounter with, with the Holy Spirit. And I mean, once it enters and grabs your heart, uh, you really, you really can't deny it. You know, it's, it, it's almost, you feel like you die to yourself and you see, things and just with just brand new eyes and new perspective on life. Mm. Yeah, yeah, unless you've experienced that, it's hard to explain, right? Yeah. But to someone who's been there, done that, it's so real. And it's the kind of thing you know, you know, you know, you know, you'll never deny it kind of thing. So Vince was active LDS? He wasn't. So still at that point, he wasn't active. And I don't really know what type of inner turmoil was going on at that time because he had had an on again, off again problem with alcohol. And so I remember the day that I was getting baptized, it was May 2nd of 2010. And I remember, you know, telling him I was going to go get baptized. And, you know, I had like this expectation in the back of my mind that maybe he would show up and surprise me and be there. And I remember I got home that day from church and he was completely intoxicated, you know, like he had mm. stayed home all morning, had been drinking. And I'm just like, man, Satan did not waste any time, you know, starting starting to work, um, work against me. He was definitely yeah. uncomfortable. Yes, that yeah. was very, um, yes, that was very um I, and I was disappointed, you know, I, I started to build this resentment in me, you know, um, at that point, too. You know, it's it's interesting that um, um, having been, you know, LDS and actually when I grew up, I grew up in kind of a, um, 
hellfire and damnation Baptist church. So I've heard a lot of sermons you know, mm-hmm. uh, about that. And um, it can be used for good. And it yeah. can also kind of push people away, you know, mm-hmm. and the concept was that, you know, we're going to scare you to become, to be have a relationship with Jesus. Right. And my philosophy is that's not always the best way. Bring people into Christ through love. But, you know, some people it affects and, and it works. So I will not criticize any method to use, to be bring people to Jesus. But I still remember as a young boy, you know, like at eight years old and being, you know, the, the pastor was preaching and almost every Sunday we, you know, we'd, we'd hear something. And I, I remember one time he talked about, well, if, if you're not baptized, see, it wasn't about coming to Jesus, but if you were not baptized and you got run over by a truck, you're going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and really, you know, as a young boy, you know, here I'm eight years old mm-hmm. and I haven't been baptized yet. And I, I thought I loved Jesus. I felt okay. And I just remember asking my dad, I said, dad, if, if I got, if I died tomorrow and I haven't been baptized, would I go to he- heaven or hell? And he said, you'd go to heaven. Don't pay attention to what that preacher <laughs> said. And so, so it was kind of interesting, but he didn't exactly say it in those words, but the, we'll, we'll just let that go on by. But uh, my dad was unique and he was a very religious man, studied the word very, very well, but but it gave me, you know, hope. Okay. But then mm-hmm. I took that and went off in a direction many years later that I mm-hmm. shouldn't have gone into. But but I always remember that. And and I, I think your husband, if he went to church and heard that, that would turn him off on a uh a Baptist church pretty quickly. At least that would have done mm-hmm. done it to me uh, at that point in time. So well to add but, insult to injury, I was also part of a of a Faith Bible Institute class that they had going on. And so I had Vince, you know, attend with me, you know, thinking that, you know, maybe he would enjoy that. And of course the class I took him to, um, they were doing a session on um, false religions. And so Mormonism, of course, came up as one of those topics. And I could tell he was extremely uncomfortable, but it was like we left that night. He was like, I'm not going back. Like, you know, I I don't know how that's teaching anyone the Bible by, you know, trying to point out, you know, the the fallacies in other religions. So that was kind of the icing on the cake to this isn't for me. So, okay. So, and okay. yet God so he, placed him there that day. I, I right? know, I know. Probably I know. for a purpose that <laughs> unfolds down the road. I'm thinking you're going to tell me. So how long did this go on with him it ignoring was, Mormonism, you being in Christianity, and were you all in? I can't say that I was all in. I mean, I was kind of one of those people that would show up when I felt like it kind of thing. Um, but as time went on, and then especially after the birth of our first daughter in 2013, I think, you know, kind we both kind of realized that we needed some type of spiritual stability, you know, in our lives because, you know, now we had this this little, this little person to be responsible for. So um, he had... Um, expressed interest in returning back to the Mormon church. And of course, you know, I didn't really know much about religion. So I'm, and of course, I'm kind of thinking like any religion at this at this point, you know, is going to be beneficial, you know, to the current situation that we've been living. 
Because so, he was um, still struggling with alcohol? Was yeah, he? I mean, that's yeah. always kind of been um, the thing that he's turned to when when he's been in times of struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so he, did he then step back into Mormonism? He did. Um, he had a meeting with the bishop and then, you know, he had confessed to, you know, some like past sins, you know, and then they ended up having him meet before a council and they they almost had like a side that was like trying to get him excommunicated. And then they kind of had another side that was trying to bring him back to the fold. So it was kind of, you know, one of those, one of those things. And when he was telling me about it, I'm kind of like, you, you had to go before a council, you know, for them to decide if, you know, you're going to be allowed to, you know, to be refellowshipped into the church. I mean, that kind of, that kind of struck me as, as a bit strange. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you a couple of questions about that. Um, the, uh, your husband, um, d- did he ever serve a mission? He did. He um, okay. he was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yes, he did serve okay. a mission. So, so this, tells me why they had a council. So what he was involved with um, to give Christians some understanding what was happening with your husband, um, he was meeting before the high council, okay? Uh, on every area, you have like a regional area or it's what they call a stake, um, uh, a stake presidency with a high council. And in that stake presidency, it oversees about 10 to 12 wards or local churches okay and since he went on a mission and he held the melchizedek priesthood and he had gone through the temple okay then he was actually under the authority not just of a local bishop but under a stake president okay okay and so therefore when he sinned against the church the the bishop couldn't just say well you know well we all make mistakes and go in different directions um, we'll get you back in. He had to go to, uh, he ended up had, you know, when the bishop, when he talked to the bishop, the bishop had to take that information to the stake president. And then the stake president decides whether they're going to have a church court, whether he's going to be excommunicated or whatever is going to happen. Okay. So they have a church court. And then in a church court of a high council, when a person that has the Melchizedek priesthood, I know I'm getting a lot of detail in here, but that's me, uh, goes before this council, they would divide the high council up into two groups, six people that will be for him, explaining why he should be innocent, and then six people that will defend the LDS church so that the church is not damaged. That's okay. what they were doing when he talked about that. Okay. So they, they they would go back and forth and then they come up to a decision or they make a recommendation. And then it's the state president that will make the final decision, regardless if, of what six say over here and what six will say over here. Then the state president will go off into another room with his counselors and then they'll make the final decision whether he's going to be excommunicated or he's going to be uh, disfellowshipped or if nothing's going to happen and he can go back. It, that's what happened to him. So um, when that happened, that's what he was trying, that's what he was explaining to you. And it's kind of confusing. It and was. So, it's very it, confusing. It, 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 so so when they got done, if you don't mind, can you tell what the result of what the what the state presidency did? 
Um, so they actually had uh, me as the spouse write a letter um, b- before he had this meeting, you know, just explaining, you know, right. how he was attempting to get his life back on track and, you know, how he abandoned, you know, the alcohol and that type of stuff and what efforts were being made. And ultimately, they allowed him to to be brought back into the fold. So, okay. Yeah. They, they probably, uh, probably disfellowshipped him for a certain period period of time and he he probably couldn't take the sacrament and he had right. to meet with the bishop on a given period of time and then he was brought back into full fellowship mm-hmm. at a later point so that's Did what that was all about <laughs> start going to church with him then um well we kind of did we would kind of do this compromise thing where i mean there were some days that we went to both churches you know in the same day um the church i was going to had an evening service and i even think our morning services were you know at different times so there were a lot of times that we would go to mine and go go to his and you know we did that for for a long period of time and then what happened so we had the birth of our second daughter and in 2017 and um, I had this void inside of me because I didn't feel like there was unity, you know, because, you know, we're doing this church this week and this church that week. And I knew that we had some doctrinal differences. So then you're kind of like, well, what do I teach my children, you know, is the truth. Yeah. Like, like, where do we send them? What do we, what do we, you know, teach to them as what the truth is? And, and do those doctrinal differences matter that right, much? Right? right, because like I said, I, I still really didn't know that much about it. I mean, I noticed a radical change in my husband and his behavior. I mean, just living, you know, a more righteous life by him attending there. And um, we had even had the missionaries over several times to the house to feed them. I'd never actually taken any lessons from them. They were always kind of hard to relate to because they were young and a lot of them were, you know, kind of goofy. It was hard to take them serious. You know, they were, they were a little bit goofy. But um, <laughs> uh, with the birth of our second daughter, um, I would say that we probably started going to his church more frequently. And while we were there, there was an elderly missionary couple that was in our in our um, ward um, that was down here from New York and they had come over and, and kind of approached us and, you know, asked if they could come over and meet with us. So um, when they came over, um, they were able to answer a lot more of the questions that I had in a more articulated way. They had more um, reasoning responses, if that makes sense. Um, it used to be when I would kind of ask, you know, maybe the younger missionaries a question, you know, when we were talking, they were kind of be like, well, that'll be revealed to you, you know, just focus on what we can understand at this point. You know, it was kind of diverted rather than trying to actually answer what my questions were. Right. But this, so, so, so this so, couple probably took you in, loved on you, um, yeah. made yeah, you they, part Yeah, they were of- awesome. I mean, we fell in yeah. love with them. We really did. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they were great. Yeah. yeah, that that brings back so many memories of Lynn and myself when we were going through this procedure of joining the LDS Church, and then we had a um, uh, a couple, an older couple, that took us in, explained things to us, and uh, you know, Had just us gave dinner. us and yeah, just gave us Introduced enough information. Us to important friends, people. Yeah. Yes, mm. and it was just a, uh, it was just great. You know, it was all the things that um, um, you would expect. You know, uh, 
they they knew the gospel, but they knew the gospel of Mormonism they knew very well, mm-hmm. but they knew just to give you enough, but not too much. Okay. Right. Without implying that there is a difference. And uh and I have to admit, I did that also when I was a ward mission leader. I used to meet with couples and other people that didn't understand and I, I could just explain a little bit differently than missionaries because I was not raised Mormon. I was raised basically Christian. So I knew how to kind of work my way in there and keep the doctrine very close to Christianity. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that the Mormon doctrine was a lot different, but they would learn that later on, but we don't want to tell you now. Okay? Right. And right. that's, that's what they do. It's just very like, well, you know, Jesus saved the world. You know, we're 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 not really that different from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, we really represent the only true church upon the face of the earth. Um, and why not join our church because we have the nice buildings and we just have wonderful people and we don't do this and we're kind to people. So it's it's um it's easy to be drawn into it. It's so easy to be drawn and, into and it. And the name of Jesus Christ is in their name. You know, like I can't tell you how many times I heard that. You know, we're the yes. church of Jesus Christ. So obviously <laughs> yeah. we're Christian. Yeah. 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 Is this a, you know, you're a Baptist. So, so is this the church of John the Baptist? Well, no, I don't think so. Well, why is it called the Baptist church? You know, we are the church of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. since these are latter days, of Latter-day Saints, and you go, oh, okay, that sounds good. And and uh, do do Baptists have a prophet? And they go on, you know, do they have an apostle? No, I didn't think we had to have apostles. Well, what does the Bible say? And then they take scripture, mm-hmm. and like any other group, they twist the scriptures to draw you in. Is that what happened mm-hmm. to you? Pretty much sums it up, <laughs> yes, in a nutshell. <laughs> you did join then. I did. Yes, I did end up joining. I I took the lessons from from the missionaries. And, you know, I had a couple things that kind of had me reserved a little bit. I I remember that the um, that the praise to the man song hymnal (sighs) um, that always bothered me really bad. Like I I couldn't even bring myself to physically sing it. I mean, I would stand there, but Uh. I couldn't get it out of my mouth. The fact that, you know, no crosses, you know, no focus you know, on the cross, I had a problem with that. And um, before I joined, obviously, you know, they wanted me to read the Book of Mormon and, you know, gain a testimony of that first. And I remember reading it. And I mean, I really didn't have much problem with it until I came to Second Nephi 2523. After we know uh, that we have been saved by grace after all we can do. And I remember me thinking that their their idea was that Jesus makes up the difference rather than Jesus being the difference. And that was something that I really struggled with. And I remember that I would spend so much time praying, like, just, just give me a testimony. Just give me a testimony. Just give me a testimony that this is true. And I don't know if it ever really happened for me or if I just convinced myself that it had happened for me just because I wanted this unity so bad within my family that I had convinced myself that I believed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting because, you know, you were baptized earlier in, in the Baptist church. You I felt was. the spirit. 
And I really feel what you were going through was this contention of the spirit of truth in relationship to the spirit of not truth, of mm -hmm. kind of uh, uh, information that's kind of slightly different, okay? Mm -hmm. And, for example, the cross, okay? Uh, you know, we were 30 years without the cross. I wear a cross now. I see you have a cross on. I do, yes. And I always, I, and I always remember, you know, the, the Mormons would always say, well, you know, the cross represents death. Um, the cross is evil. If 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 a man killed your mother with a gun, would you wear would a you gun wear around a cross, a, cross <laughs> a, a, a gun around your neck? And I would say, well, no, obviously I would not, because I never understood. I knew there was some contention, but I never understood the beauty of the cross, what it represented. Mm -hmm. And and in Mormonism, they they totally removed that. Um, it's just like these are small things, but it's a huge difference in Christianity in that. Well, then such uh, the transition of, you know, the focus of the atonement happening in the garden versus on the cross. You that's know, it. that's yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. You can't have the cross if the atonement happened in the garden. Right. We as Christians know that didn't happen in in the garden. It happened on the cross. Mm -hmm. and, so. And so I want to I want to bring this to something contemporary. I just saw an ad the other day from Angel Studios, which is LDS owned by the Harmon brothers, who are LDS, right? And they um, distribute, I believe, uh, the Chosen and a number of the latest Christian films. This one was The Shift. I think they just did. I don't know anything about it, but they were this ad gave the infinity sign and was suggesting that it was a replacement as a Christian symbol to replace the cross, that this infinity wow. sign meant the open tomb. And that freaked me out a little bit, but that's a way to meld Mormonism with Christianity, mm -hmm. right? Because Mormons do not do the cross and they're very uncomfortable with the cross and they do not believe that the atonement happened on the cross and that atonement and what it did for people is very different in Mormonism mm -hmm. than it is in Christianity. Oh my goodness, we're at the end already. This is wonderful. So Ashley joins the Mormon church and in part two, we're going to find out if she stays. Grace and peace to you, friends. Until next time. And may God bless. <laughs>